What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool. Everyone say hello to Simon Hahn. How are you, Simon? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's uh, it's already 10 a.m. here, but it feels earlier for some reason. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah, no, since I've been doing this podcast on the West Coast, a lot of authors don't live on the West Coast. So I've been doing this at 7 a.m. I did one oh. at 6.30 a.m. And I wonder, like, can people see it in my face? But it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> oh, I, I, I thought maybe you're on the East Coast. You're ahead of me because you oh, see yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm in San Francisco. Well, just before the podcast, we were talking. I, uh, Reba, my bulldog puppy, is behind me. So life has altered in the sense that I'm up at like 5.45 in the morning okay. now. Well, that's when I write too, though. I write before work. When do you write? Um, It's, it's hard to say this year. But uh, typically, I, I try to keep a, 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 a sort of standard schedule like i i was lucky to have this fellowship where i could write almost full-time the past couple of years and and so i you know get up around you know eight or nine and yeah write around this time like 10 a.m and you know write for try to write for like these two to three hour blocks uh of course i'm not really writing that whole time but i'm pretending to half the time uh-huh. and then you know taking breaks sometimes reading walking around eating snacks. But. Uh, real quick, you said fellowship. Uh, what was the fellowship you were, you were a part of? It was a, it was an artist uh, fellowship in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. So that's where I was for the past three years. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was one of, it was fairly new, um, but it was pretty big. It was like 40 different writers and artists across all different uh, mediums and from everywhere in the country. Uh, and uh, it was, we were all just you know, living downtown in Tulsa. And uh, it was it was great. I, I wrote most of my novel there. Uh, um, I guess we'll back up the track a little bit. Um, you are originally from China, correct? And you grew up in Texas? Yeah, I was born in Tianjin, China. Um, and then I uh, moved to the States when I was one. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So I mean, pretty much right. Fresh. Pretty much. Okay. Um, and you spent your whole life in Texas? Uh, up until I was 18. Okay. And then this is actually the first time... I've, I've lived here for an extended amount of time. My parents live here and I, I'm at, my wife and I are actually supposed to go to San Francisco. Um, that's oh, okay. where I'm going to move. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Yeah. Her oh, cool. she's awesome. a grad student around there and um, she, but her classes are all online. Yeah. 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 And so <laughs> rather than pay rent there, we figured <laughs> we just live with my parents. So that's yeah, okay. Well, they are, the rent is dropping. That's the only thing you hear about nowadays. It's the only conversation okay. people want to have. Um, that's pretty cool though. I mean, I've been to Texas a bunch. Um, I've been touring in bands forever. So I've been, I've been to South by Southwest probably four or five times playing in bands, but Texas is, we, I, we talked to Kimberly King Parsons. I don't know if you know her. Um, she's from Texas too. Yeah. And she writes about Texas. Um, it's one of those places, you know, I feel like lends itself well to being written about. Um, I feel like a lot of people in America have actually never been there. Um, could you talk more about kind of how that influenced you, your writing? I'm assuming you write, do you write about Texas? Is it a big part of your identity at this point? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting because I I mean I grew up in a very specific community in Texas and and that's the thing that people who've never been to Texas don't realize is it's obviously a huge state so depending on where you are um it's it's like being in a different state at you know at, at, 
depending on, you know, geography, but sometimes country. <laughs> country. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, Texas would like itself to be its own country or something. But, um, so I grew up in, in, for the most part, I mean, College Station, Houston, but then for the most part in the suburbs. Okay. And, and that is sort of uh, Plano, Texas, also the setting of my novel. And uh, it, there was a huge like Asian immigrant population there. There's, there's a lot of like unique weirdness uh, about the place that I think people don't really think about when they think Texas. I remember like, uh, you know, I did my MFA in Nashville. And when I talked to people about being from Texas, it all, was almost like an oxymoron to them. They're like, in, you know, an Asian Texan, is that a thing? But it, it is, it is a, there's a huge, well, you know, America. <laughs> America, first of all, but yeah. also, but also, you know, the Texas that exists in our popular imagination, um, you know, like in a McMurtry novel or something, which I, I mean, I love McMurtry, but it's, uh, that's a very different part of Texas than where I grew up. And it's also a different time. Yeah. And, and it, Texas like is, is interesting because, because it's so mythic and yet people live there. They have very everyday, sometimes mundane lives there. And, and so I'm always interested in, in kind of pushing back against, uh, the myths a bit. Yeah. I mean, well, you, you were talking about that in, you said people's ideas of Texas. I instantly, I thought of uh, King of the Hill, uh, you know, cause people think like, <laughs> you know, like things yeah. like that. Um, yeah. cool. So you mentioned that your first book, it is called nights when nothing happened. Um, can you talk a little bit, this is your first book, right? Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about the book, but also talk about leading up to that book. How did you start writing? Were you writing, you know, short stories, essays, things like that, you know, or did you just pop out a novel and now I'm a writer. <laughs> uh, definitely did not just pop out. It was uh, si about six years from beginning to end. But um, but yeah, I mean, Nights When Nothing Happened, it is it is set in Plano, Texas. I'm sorry, six years from when you started the novel until when you kind of finished it? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so the book is, it's it's uh, set in the early 2000s in, in Plano, Texas, and it's about... Um, a Chinese immigrant family trying to, trying to settle down in, in, in the suburbs, but they all kind of have very unique circumstances for getting there um, with uh, like kind of secrets and fears and longings that they're keeping to themselves. But that all kind of comes out to the open when uh, their little girl, Annabelle, begins to sleepwalk. And that kind of sets off this chain reaction of misunderstandings. And so that's, that's basically what the book is about. Um, and then as far as how I got there, it, it, uh, yeah, I mean, I started writing short stories. Um, that's, and I still really love writing short stories, but, and this book started as a short story. Oh, it did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think I, it was a, so this book is alternates in uh, four different perspectives, each member of the family, but the story uh, was just Jack, the boy, uh, one perspective, and it had this whole complete arc and everything. But I, I just kept thinking about it because so much of that story was dependent on each character's relationship to one another and the ways they kind of intersect and then the ways they kind of miss each other. Um, and so I realized that was the story I really wanted to tell. Like I wanted each character to exist in relation to one another. 
Uh, and and because of then I realized okay I need to explore each perspective. And, and <laughs> You're like oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was excited. It was kind of exciting because yeah, I I just didn't I didn't I felt like I didn't have the space in my head for a novel back then. And, and well, back then, how how long? This is six years ago or when yeah did, yeah it's like yeah. 2013 ish. Well, when did uh, you start writing originally? Originally, um, well, I I guess. I've always, I mean, as a kid, I would like write, for, but I think I went back to it more seriously in, in college. I, uh, I, I just took a couple classes for fun and then I just took like another one and then another one. And then I was like, I guess I should just like do this more. And, okay. um, yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing is I, I never thought about writing as a profession, it just didn't, I didn't have a framework for even imagining that as a thing. And, but then when I, when I realized I could do it in school, like, I don't know, like school was something I kind of understood. And so, uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I, I, I discovered there were like these graduate programs where they're fully funded. They even give you a stipend. So I thought, why not? And yeah. By the time I was done with that, I, I felt like I was in too deep and I had to just keep doing it. <laughs> kind of like Birthright Israel. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so going back, so were, were you reading a lot as a kid though? I mean, you know, there are mechanics that you have to build as a writer. I'm a fairly sure. new writer, but I've been reading since, you know, I could open my eyes. And the reason I started writing was because it was the same. You could see the guitar behind me. And the reason I started playing guitar and playing in bands was I'm like, well, other people did this. Why, why can't I do this too? Um, yeah. So when I started taking writing seriously, that was just what I told myself. I'm like, well, you know, all these people started the same way I did just with an idea. Um, and then it's getting down to it. So were you reading a lot as a kid? Were you reading in college? Do you have time to read? Oh yeah. I, I, I don't think you can really be a writer unless you read. Um, I, I think that I, I mean, definitely as a kid, I was a big reader. I, I can't say that my tastes were super sophisticated. I was like a big fan of like Animorphs. Okay, yeah, hey, it's all good. I, I was a big James Patterson guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and but I mean, I, I I read a lot, and then there was a period in like middle school and high school where that reading really dropped off. I think I became more interested in like video games and stuff, yeah. which is another form of storytelling, but maybe Definitely not so much games that I were I was playing. But um, but yeah, it was. I, I always knew I, I liked to do it. Um, but again, it was that, what you were mentioning about how, you know, how if other people are doing it, I could do it too. Mm -hmm. That didn't really occur to me because I knew like ostensibly there were writers in the world, but they were like astronauts to me. You know, there just weren't like, it wasn't a thing that felt concrete. Yeah. Um, so it really was in college where the, the, my love, I kind of rediscovered my love for reading, um, partly because I I discovered like writers I that were that I never heard of before, but were actually fairly prominent. I just didn't think to any to anyone specific. Yeah, I mean, like uh, one uh, a writer that a, a professor introduced me to was Gish Jen. Oh, okay. Um, one of the you know early Chinese American writers that I read, and um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I mean, I also read you know writers like. Uh, Faulkner and Toni Morrison and yeah. but but to ex encounter them when you're like we, sometimes when you encounter writers like like that too early like in high school and they're just these assigned readings you just don't have the same connection I talk about it all the time and it drives me insane the books that they ask you to read in high school are 
I recently reread the uh, uh, of Mice and Men, mm-hmm. and when you read that as a thirty three year old man, it's a lot different than when you read it as a thirteen year old boy. Yeah. You know, also like the old man in the sea, or like why are they trying to have high school kids read Sid Arthur? It's like there are things that you know there are other books that can replace these books that would be so much more influential for that age. And I agree with what you're saying. It's like, sometimes you read these books and it's at a time of your life where it's just right over your head. Um, you know, like 17 year old kids trying to read like Moby Dick, uh, (laughs) you know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, that's cool. I mean, that's cool that you, you know, you went, you were able to trust that feeling of, well, people have done this before I can do it too. Um, do you remember that first time you actually sat down and typed away or wrote those first like serious words? Hmm. Good question. I, yeah, I mean, I want the date, the time, what you were eating. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. This is, yeah, it depends how you define serious. Because yeah, e- even so, when I first started writing short stories, it was it was they, they were assignments in class, yeah. but it felt more serious because you were people were discussing them. You know, they had to, it was part of the class, but it was it was like it was like a text that mm-hmm. people like had some kind of relationship to. And, and that was really powerful, actually. Like, I think that's one, I, there's a lot of drawbacks to the workshop model and, and we can talk about that later. But like, I think that one thing that helped me was that just, it, it became a less, it, writing was a private thing, but you know, it's also communication. And I, and I saw that, that my words were communicating something to people. That's an intro. That's a very cool thing. This you, you just said, yeah, how, how it's so intimate, but you're able to put it out there and, and then get that. Yeah. 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 So I, I remember I like wrote a story, like, I don't know, as a sophomore or junior or something. And it was like, it, it was very like mundane story. It was like about, uh, a couple, like they, I think they were going to like, they were planning to have sex for the first time. They're they're in high school, and it was very it was they're very awkward about it. And they're they're at a Walgreens um, <laughs> buying a condom for the yeah, first yeah. time. They don't know how to navigate that, and yeah. and, uh, and that was the whole story. It was about how to like buy this condom. Okay, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I and mean, people kind of people really liked it in class. And um, I remember my professor was like, "This is a kind of story that shows you can you can write about anything." And mm-hmm can be interesting and and i think somehow i i that lesson has stayed with me um because my book is very much about like everyday lives as well it's in you know authors can write about that well and authors can write about that you know not that well um everyday life is an interesting thing you know i, I write about everyday life but i put a little more uh I, i'm over the top in the humor and when mm-hmm. you're over top with humor, you know, things have to be a little more out of bounds, um, you know, when it comes to being in that real world. Um, but it seems that you kind of narrowed it down. So you're in college, you're doing this, you're in the MFA program. Um, I got to get back to what you said, though, about the workshop thing. Um, yeah. I've talked to authors and, you know, they swear by it. And I've talked to authors where they thought it was detrimental to their work. Um Talk about what you were gonna say before you didn't say it. <laughs> uh, well, I'm also a, I'm also a teacher now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I can't completely write it off because I teach. Of course it. not. But I I mean there are definitely limitations, right? Because you have what I've what I've kind of see happening is it's a structure that like uh, tends to invite a, a kind of 
group consensus, right? Like, and I find that sometimes people who don't agree with the group just don't talk because they feel like they were wrong or something. Like they interpreted the the story wrong. Um, and and then when you have a book out in the world, like I do now, it's just you realize that is just not how fiction is received in the real world. The 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 workshop is is trying to simulate that a little bit, but it's a very like protected, almost curated space. Um, and so it's it's trying to understand that. And, you know, there's also these kinds of uh, various quote unquote rules of workshop where, for example, the writer can't speak, which again, I understand why, where that's coming from because, you know, I, when you, I can't like hover behind the shoulder of every reader of my book and explain things. Um, but then you have sometimes you know, what I've realized, like, like your book is also, it's not necessarily for everyone. You're trying to find the right readers for the book. Um, and, and sometimes the, the reader in your workshop is not the right reader. And they're trying to make your writing something that it's not or something that it, that it shouldn't be. Um, and, and then when you're kind of muted like that, you can't really ex show them what you want the story to be. Um, so it, I mean, it requires a level of trust and, a level of um, humility on the on the on the on the writer side, but also on the reader side to to sort of center, you know, the story's goals, and and that's not always easy to do. Well, you said a lot of thing, a lot of things there. Um, one being, you know, you don't know how your work's going to be perceived by the seven plus billion other people <laughs> that exist on this planet, right? So yeah, like when, you know, I, I've never been part of a workshop and that makes complete sense when you're saying, you know, you're getting restricted feedback in a very, you know, isolated area with someone who you, you like you said, you can't speak to. <laughs> it sounds like Fight Club. Um, and yeah, yeah. But so did you have to, were you able to, I mean, you're, you were able to express it. So obviously you're cognizant of it, but at, in the beginning, were those, um, uh, you know, critiques or praise of your work, did that influence how you were writing early on when you first started those workshops? Yeah, I think when I first started, I, yeah, a couple points on that. It, you know, I got in the trap that a lot of people do, uh, where you, you feel like you have to answer every single critique in some way, right? Like it's almost like a checklist, but that obviously doesn't work because sometimes like the critiques contradict each other. Right. Um, and what I've grown to understand about it is that people are just kind of offering like little windows of opportunity into your work. And it, they just, they're asking questions or proposing solutions that maybe you hadn't th thought of before. And now you can think about it and you can decide not to do it. Right. And but, be open to that. But you can be open to that. You can, you can consider something that you never considered before, which is helpful. Um, but the other trap that I've gotten into is like when people seem to unanimous, unanimously praise something in the work or, or you have a particular reader who's just like, just like, so passionate about about a particular sentence even or a detail for me in the in when i'm drafting later on i'm like oh i can't cut this ever like i have this i have their voice in the back of my head but sometimes you have to like yeah. it, for for this novel like i had to cut some some scenes that i really felt attached to and that early readers really loved and and i felt like i was almost like 
betraying them or something oh, yeah. by not doing by cutting it. But it, the, the story evolved and it changed. And maybe what I cut will, will be in a different story one day. But sometimes you have to just let let things go. You have to understand the the, the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny you say that. I mean, I'm the same way. If I'm you know, I'm trying to finish up my first novel and I'm sending out little chunks to people. And when I get positive feedback, you're right. It's like I bookmark it in my mind. I'm like, I can't ever delete that paragraph because one other person liked it. (laughs) Uh, It's crazy. You know, uh, but talking about that, you know, there's a level of doubt with that. There's a level of insecurity, but there's also a level of just trusting your gut. Um, are you a big, I mean, you said six years to write the book. Are you a big draft guy? Are you, you know, constantly just tossing shit out, moving shit around? Or was it kind of just like, boom, 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 I'm going to, you know, here it is. I, I think revision was the biggest part of it. I, in, in the, I, I have, my process is really inefficient, but I'll also revise as I draft, right? Like uh, it's hard for me to keep going if I don't feel in the moment happy with the sentence, you know? <laughs> and so, and so it's very slow, uh, I tr- sometimes I, I I get some momentum. That's my goal is to get to a point where I'm like just writing. I'm not thinking. I'm not, you know, it just feels natural to me. Um, but a lot of times it's not like that. It's a grind. Uh, and then after I do all that, like drafting slash revising, I, I look at the whole picture and then I have to revise again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, with uh, nights when nothing happened, I, you know, it was like around the four year mark where I got <laughs> an agent but then I worked on the book for another year with my agent and then we sold the book and then I worked on the book for another year with my well, editor. Could you, t- all, right, all right. So th- there's, a, if you got, can you talk about that process? W- were you purposely shopping the book out to agents? Did you just happen to meet someone? And what was that process like? So I, I got, you're talking to someone who got rejected 73 times. <laughs> oh, I, I also encountered plenty of rejection. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. From, I mean, so first, like what I was doing, I was writing short stories, right? So I was submitting to journals, you know, getting rejected everywhere. And but I did have uh, this lucky break with one journal um, that, and, and then my agent, my eventual agent, actually read the story in the journal, and she reached out to me. Okay. Uh, and at the time, I was still working on the novel, but she had my name, you know, she knew who I was, and and then I think about a year later, I sent her the novel, and, mm-hmm. and she decided to to take me on. Uh, so, so yeah, that was the process of the agent. And then, um, did you ask another question? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's, I I always compare it to the music business, uh, it with, you know, the publishers, the record label, you know, the agents, the A&R person, the writers, the band. So it seems to be parallel kind of ways the operation works. So you get the agent and then you said it was another year and then you had to work with an editor. So like with music, you know, when you, you know, these rec, you, you pop out that record, you make the record and then you go on tour and that's your life. Um, talk about having to live another year <laughs> working on this, you know, cause it, again, it's all up in the air, right? You don't know what's going to happen. Right. You still have to motivate yourself to work on this book. Yeah. You sort of, I tried to just tell myself that, Every stage was a kind of, I tried to be um, encouraged by every stage I got to. Like when I got an agent, I tried to feel encouraged by that, even though I knew the book wasn't ready, right? And I think <laughs> the ultimate goal was to have a book. Um, but it, it, I, I think that's so much about, uh, for better or for worse, it's like how writing 
gets put out in the world, like as writers, we have to find our champions, right? Because so like the, the society at large doesn't really champion writing or writers or, uh, and, and so especially in the stage where you don't, you can't say you have a tangible object to give them, right? When you just say, I'm, you know, I'm a writer, I'm working on something. That's what I was, I, I was afraid to even call myself a writer for yeah. so long. Um, but when I found people who w- were calling me that and were thinking about the book as a real thing that could be in the world, that was really encouraging. Um, and so, but, but it was also, you know, it, I think it was encouraging to find an agent who, who real, who wanted to do that work because, um, you know, I think it would be easier for the agent to just take what I had and, and try to sell it. Cause it's less work for them. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, she wanted it to be the best version of itself. And, um, and same with my editor, you know, when she took it, she, 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 she took it because she liked what it was doing well, but, but it also, you know, she wanted it to, she knew that there was something better in a better story within that story. Was that your first time working with a like, professional editor? Um, yeah, I mean, um, because uh, it was the editor who accepted the book, so... Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, it was my first time since it's my first book. It's my first time working with an editor. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, you know, I, before I've written some short stories I've written and I wrote a novella, but when I wrote the novella, that was my first time working with like a professional editor, not someone, you know, took a college class editing more. Um, it's amazing. I learned a whole bunch going through that process of just getting that first wave of notes back. Um, and having to swallow my pride. And like we were talking earlier, like, you know, if, if one person tells you they like something, that's great. But if I can tell myself, I actually like something, that's the hardest part. And when I got that first wave of notes back and she was like, you know, red lines through an entire, you know, pages, I'm like, Oh fuck me. I'm like, what did I get myself into? (laughs) Um, it was a was it a pleasant process for you? I mean, yeah, you know, this is your baby. This is your first book. I mean, yeah. was it a pleasant process? Oh, it was definitely it was pleasant. But but I totally hear what you're saying. Uh, it's I, I kind of go back and forth from like hoping when I send something to my editor, hoping that sh- I should just come back to me and be like, everything is perfect, <laughs> and let's just do it. Yeah. Uh, but but that's just you know that's just not the case um and it's never the case and i've learned to especially uh line edits and things like that they're just i'm start i've learned to really appreciate them and and there's something magical that happens when i when i apply those edits and then also bring in my own like interpretations of them and and, and my own solutions um and then i just it takes time but then i look back on it i'm like wow this is it, it's it, it's like very I don't know I don't know how to explain it. It's like this very uh, soothing almost feeling. Like you've you've just sculpted uh, something slightly more pleasing and aesthetically beautiful, and and uh, and you created something that you couldn't have imagined necessarily yourself. I think that's when an editor comes comes becomes useful, right? Because you you've taken your story uh, to the to the point where, you know, you feel like you can't go any further with it on your own because, you know, you are limited as one person. Uh, so when, when writing became this kind of collaborative process, it was nice. It was a little less lonely too. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think of writing differently than I think of other art forms. You know, I'm looking at a painting on my wall, and I think of painting as starting with nothing and building up to something. I look at writing as starting with everything and taking it all the shit away. Um, so you were talking about like a marble stat, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's always you're constantly. It's not, you don't want to keep adding things. The idea in my mind is to get it all there and then take away stuff. And when you start taking away things, then you get motivated to add more. Mm-hmm. And then the space is there. And that's what I learned through the editing process. When I got that first thing back, I'm like, okay, she's not taking away these things because of this, this, this. She's really adding room for me to, and when, once I read her notes, then I realized that. But she's adding, you know, she's like, this could be like this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I could write 200 w- more words now because I got rid of 500 words that didn't make any sense. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. So what are you working on now? I mean, are you the kind of, are you always working on new things all the time or is it just one project at a time? Oh, I'm always working on multiple yeah. projects. Interesting. I, some, some authors I talk to, they literally, if they're not, they could only do one thing and if you even <laughs> mention something else, they, they can't do it. Well, that would be very stressful while working on a novel because oh, it takes yeah. so long. I, I had to feel like I finished something in the middle. So I would, I would actually like write very short, like flash fiction pieces at some okay. point because I, it was nice to just finish something. And, um, but, but for now I'm actually going back to the stories. Uh, I, I can't say that I'm doing it like literally now because I've been so busy with like book stuff, but I hope to yeah. <laughs> go back to, the short stories that I wrote before, during, and after the novel, and uh, to see how they're like talking to each other, and 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 maybe see how they can become a book. Uh, I mean, I I like them on their own, uh, yeah. but it's another process to make a book out of them. Definitely, and I learned that just by doing this podcast. Um, I, you know, I I write short stories, but then I'm looking, I'm like, none of these have any correlation to one another, and I'm learning that if you want a book of short stories, they have to. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, Simon, this was such such a blast talking to you. Uh, can you let people know? Are you on Instagram, Twitter? Do you do that stuff? Yeah, I am. I'm on I'm on yeah, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It, it, what's your handle? Do you know? Uh, okay, so for Twitter, <laughs> it's Simon Sin Han. Uh Simon X-I-N-H-A-N. Yeah. Um and then Instagram. Uh we'll, we'll put up the links if you forget. Okay. Yeah. Do you want me to no, no, it's all good. No worries. It's uh, hard to like, yeah, say it out loud. On my Twitter, you know, the podcast is called Writing Friction, but Twitter right. named my Twitter handle Friction Writing, and it's just oh. it's driving me insane. I can't. I'm I'm not a Twitter <laughs> guy. I'm more of an Instagram guy. Um, last question. I always ask this: Where are people buying your books? What's your favorite bookstore? Oh, great question. I yeah, I mean, I would. It def- could be more than one. Yeah. Well, I would. I would love to shout out the the bookstores that hosted me for events. Um, some of these bookstores, I wish I, I haven't even visited yet. I wish <laughs> I could. But um, so in in Terabang in Dallas, Green Apple Books and San Francisco, yeah. um, Harvard Bookstore uh, in Cambridge. Um, am I missing? Oh, and Magic City Books in Tulsa. Love it, Simon. What a blast, man! Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you, Michael. All right, we'll see you later, Simon. All right. Take care.